This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning. Uh, we, are the, we are the Lanier family, at least part of us, the younger five. Um, the older five are grown and spread out amongst the globe. Um, we have the joy of sharing the third theme of Advent with you, which is joy, and uh, Vic spoke briefly about it um, earlier. So as I was reflecting on this, actually this morning I was reading in, in Psalm 84, um, and the psalmist just talks about how his greatest desire um, is to be in the presence of the Lord, and his greatest joy is found in being in the house of the Lord. Um, and really that's our greatest joy too, and that's why we're going to read from from Luke, and um, and this is why the angel can say that he brings good news of great joy for all the people, because our greatest need is to be in the presence of the Lord, and that's what this good news is that the angel is bringing, that, that God has sent his son and made a way that we can be in his presence, and that we receive the joy that comes from being, being in his presence, so... And in the same region, and there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. <coughs> and, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But unto us... For for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, they, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Good morning and uh, welcome again to Antioch. Uh, this morning we'll be reading from uh, Isaiah 35. Uh, we're going to read the, well, I will read the chapter if y'all want to read along with me. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of the jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of the holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even, in, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come on it. They shall not, they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, thank you to the Lanier family and Jason, the worship team, for all who have uh, helped to lead us in worship so far, and it is a, um, a blessing to be with you this morning uh, at the, the risk of a bad pun. It is a joy for me to uh, be able to take this opportunity to preach to you this morning and the week before Christmas. I don't preach that often. I think the last time was the middle of last year, uh, but it does seem that it is often whenever that time comes around for uh, life to get a little extra crazy in the weeks leading up to uh, preaching or speaking uh, to you in, in any way. Uh, perhaps in, uh, in an attempt to steal joy, I, I think probably all of us are in uh, or a lot of us might be in a similar situation, not the preparing to preach part, although if, if someone is ready and willing, you are welcome to come up, but uh, the extra crazy part, I know all of us could raise a hand uh, likely and say, yeah, life is busy, and when you add Christmas craziness to the mix, you can be at risk in this season of the year of uh, joy being stolen as opposed to joy being added um, I had Jason read the entire chapter of Isaiah 35, although uh, the last verse is the primary focus of the, the sermon today, because I think it's important to consider this joy, the everlasting joy that is talked about in verse 10 in the context of the chapter, not just the chapter, but of where it is in Isaiah. Ivan Mesa says about this chapter in Isaiah that nestled between two chapters of judgment and invasion... Isaiah 35 is a chapter suffused with joy for God's weary people. Despite their sin, God had not given up on them. They were still His redeemed people. Sighing would soon give way to singing, and sorrow give way to joy. And as I thought and prayed and prepared for this morning, my hope, my prayer for all of us this morning is that in this Advent Sunday, the week before Christmas, that this passage and this message helps all of us to turn our eyes upward. Uh, no matter what the season of life may have you in, whether joyful or not joyful, I hope that this, this conversation and this morning and this season helps us to turn our eyes upward toward the Lord, our Redeemer, because just as the angels 
proclaimed to the shepherds 2,000 years ago, this is a proclamation of great joy that should be for all the people, and that is still relevant for us today. That is still good for us today because Jesus Christ is alive, he reigns, and he lives, and he cares for you and for me, and that is always good news. Um, Before I get into the first point of the sermon today, I want to share a story with you, or at least part of a story, uh, that was recently shared with me that I think beautifully illustrates the theme of the message today. And I'm going to tell you this story from the perspective of a daughter who shared this story with me about her parents, uh, Dick and Ruby. My dad's name was Dick. He had a tumultuous upbringing due to the fact that his father left when he was 12. Leaving the family to move around the country to live with various relatives from New York to Connecticut to New Hampshire and Mississippi. They were very poor and had no positive home life. At a 70th birthday party for my dad, I asked one of his brothers, he was one of uh, three boys, to share a good memory of their childhood. And the brother's response was, There were none. I thought he was joking, but he wasn't, and it explained a lot. After Dad graduated and did a four-year stint in the Navy, he then moved to North Carolina to be a sports editor. He met my mom taking pictures of her high school football team where she was a cheerleader, and Dad ended up becoming the editor of the local paper and was very much a people person. My mom's name was Ruby, and she grew up in eastern North Carolina. Her mom died when she was 12, and a few years later had a stepmom that entered the picture and wasn't really the warm and fuzzy type. Her dad was a farmer and worked hard during the week and drank on the weekends. They ate what they grew on the farm, and mom often thought that they were poor because they would receive baskets for the needy at Christmas time. Her father, though, would save money that he made from farming, and every January it was his habit to buy a brand new car. Mom was the youngest of three and was ready to leave home as soon as the opportunity presented itself. Her family would go to church sometimes, but it wasn't frequent, and faith was not really practiced uh, in her home. When Dad and Mom got married, he was 24 and she was 18. They were really young. Neither of them had a relationship with the Lord to speak of or good examples of growing up of what a godly relationship really looked like or a strong marriage. The first seven years of marriage seemed okay. The family attended church, and there were efforts to implement faith at home, but in reality, they were struggling. Dad and mom drank often. They were unfaithful to each other in the marriage relationship, and they made bad choices in the friends that they kept. Dad knew nothing about managing money, and mom wasn't that much better, and they lived much of life in debt. As I got older and would go back to visit dad, I often was nervous to visit the small town where he lived because I was fearful that I might meet someone that dad was still indebted to. My mom's unfaithfulness resulted in a pregnancy, my younger brother, but the amazing thing that impacted my life for the good was that dad received this child as his own, and there was never distinction between he and the rest of us. However, even after 14 years of marriage and four children, mom was apparently so unhappy that she began to plan to leave the marriage. She left and began life as a single woman, uh, as a single woman and embraced a loose lifestyle. She didn't talk much about her life as a single woman, but there were enough signs to know that I didn't want to know. 
Dad became a single parent, even raising children that were not his own, and he worked hard and tried to do what he understood to be a dad and a provider. At this time in life, I was 15. My brothers were 17, 7, and 3. Even though mom left us, our relationship stayed good. She was always interested in us and made our times special. Eventually, I left home, got married, and 15 years after mom left dad, she decided to move to the small town in North Carolina where my husband and I lived. Just two months after moving, she fell at work, broke her kneecap, and had to come live with us for a few weeks. And that is when the Lord began to work in her in an incredible way. I'll circle back to the rest of that story in a little while. It's a story of redemption, and it turns out to be a story of joy. Which brings me to the three points that I have for you this morning. The promise of redemption, the source of everlasting joy, and joy for this day. First, the promise of redemption. Over the last two weeks, we've taken time to look back and reflect on God's perfect plan for his people, not just in the story of Christmas, but looking back even thousands of years before Christmas at the prophecies and the promises that were to come, early tellings of the story of Christmas. And as we look at this passage in Isaiah 35 and consider the Advent theme of joy, I asked myself the question in the preparation of the sermon, just where does The everlasting joy that is referenced in verse 10, where does that joy come from? What makes that joy possible? Um, These are basic questions for us. We, We have grown up wrestling with these themes. This is not going to be a revelation, I don't believe, to any of you. Uh, But God uses um, instances of reminder, I hope, to stir our hearts as he has mine. Uh, In our human nature... um, When we think about where does joy come from, I think it makes sense to us to think that joy often comes in times of blessing or ease, when we're not burdened by the cares of the world, or when we're not stressed with life, or the fears or anxieties of our heart are not overwhelming. When life is good, then joy is most easily felt and experienced. At least that's what I think we perhaps sometimes tend to to believe or or subconsciously see uh, as joy. Uh, But that's not really what we read here in chapter 35 of Isaiah. We start out in the wilderness in verse 1, in a dry and a weary land. The theme of the prior chapter is God's judgment. Uh, And then chapter 36 deals with the Assyrians' invasion of the nation of Judah. It's not really a recipe for joy, Um, or so it seems. But I think if we look at the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10... Uh, As we, again, already know, uh, the reason for joy becomes apparent. The redeemed, it says in verse 9, shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Our ability to obtain joy and gladness in the Lord was made possible by the redemption of the Lord, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ when he ransomed my soul from the power of hell. The theme of redemption, as we know, is a central theme. It is the central theme throughout the whole biblical narrative. We see it in so many different ways. God's redemption is seen in the rescue of Noah and his whole family in the ark through the waters of redemption that cleansed the world of the wickedness in it. 
It's seen in the Abrahamic covenant when God promises to Abraham that he will make of him a great nation, making a covenant that God would fulfill. It's seen in the scene with Abraham and Isaac when God provided the ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place, pointing to the sacrifice of Christ. Even after 430 years in captivity, we see God's merciful redemption as he leads his people from Egypt and away from the grip of Pharaoh through the Red Sea and again, the waters of redemption. In Exodus 6, 6, the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God's redemption is seen in the promise God made to David that he would establish an eternal kingdom through David's lineage even after David had sinned greatly in his time as king. We see it in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the shedding of blood of the animal sacrifices that again pointed to Christ once and for all dying for us and shedding his blood for our sins. And at Christmas time every year we reflect on the miracle of the incarnation And the arrival of God made flesh to be with us. Again, an act of redemption. God has always been faithful to the redeemed, the ransomed. Just like those ancient words in Exodus 6-6 that emphasize the gracious, gracious initiative of God as the only final explanation for the joy of his people. Uh, Which brings me to the second point this morning, the source of everlasting joy. As we focus on joy this morning, somebody already mentioned it earlier today, I forget exactly which one, maybe Vic, but I'm not going to spend time wrestling with the differences between joy and happiness, or whether it's okay for a believer to pursue happiness, or whether a believer can lose joy or if I don't feel joyful, does that mean that I'm a bad Christian? There, there, there are all kinds of questions, perhaps, that we have asked of ourselves. And there's all sorts of things that have been written about those themes. Uh, but I do want to ask two, just, again, basic questions this morning. First, what is joy? What is joy? And second, where does it come from? Uh, for both of these questions, uh, I'm going to point to a couple of resources that helped me in the study for this morning, both of them from John Piper. In an article from 2015 that he entitled, How Do You Define Joy? Um, He explained that as he defines joy, at least Christian joy as the Apostle Paul did within his letters, and words can perhaps mean different things in the ways that they are used, but um, he defines it as this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul Produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Uh, In a much abbreviated version of the article that accompanied this, uh, again, he breaks it down in this definition in five components. First, a good feeling. Christian joy is described as a genuine emotional experience distinct from ideas or convictions. It's not something you can control or just decide to feel. I'm going to decide to be joyful. It happens to you, which means the Bible is filled with commands, things to do that are immediately outside of our control, right? 
commands to rejoice, to be grateful, to be tender-hearted. Some of those have to do with emotions that we feel, and we are commanded in Scripture to do those things or to, do, or to, uh, to pursue those, uh, those things, but they're not all immediately within our personal control alone. It's a good feeling, but it's not only a good feeling. It's a good feeling in the soul. Joy is an experience of the soul, the immaterial part of my personhood that is distinct from the physical effects that it may have on the body. The body's reactions, such as tears or a spring in one's steps, are not joy in and of themselves, but merely a response to it. They are responses to the joy that the Lord is giving to me in my soul. Third, they are produced by the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians. The inability to produce joy independently underscores my dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Fourth, it is a sight of Jesus. The Holy Spirit induces joy by enabling individuals to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's not just a feeling and I'm just waiting for that feeling to happen. There is a personal responsibility for me to look for those things where the Lord is working in my life or in the lives of others so that I might see the beauty of Christ. He doesn't just flip a switch and you rejoice with no mental content whatsoever. No thought. The Holy Spirit is given, according to John 16, 14, to glorify Jesus Christ, which means the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of my heart to see the beauty of Christ. When I see Christ in all that He is doing, in all that He is, then my heart is drawn out in joy toward Him. And fifth, in the Word and in the world. The Holy Spirit works through both the inspired Word of God as well as in the world. We see Him in His gifts and in people. We see Him in His gifts of nature. We see Him in His gifts of food and in all of the good things that our Father gives to us. The Spirit gives us eyes to see the beauty of Christ that calls up joy out of our hearts. So how do we define joy? What is joy? Um, again, according to Piper, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And that definition speaks as well to where joy comes from, but let's get a little bit more specific for a moment. If I ask kids 12 and under right now, where does joy come from? I bet I could get some pretty good answers, so why don't we do that? If you are a child or a young man or woman, 12 years old or under, where does joy come from? What do you think? Shout it out. God, good. Jesus, okay. What else? The Holy Spirit, sure. Good, good. Anything else? That's a good one. Good job. I think there is joy in that for sure. That's good, good. So um, all of those things are mentioned here. Uh, so you, you're, you're, you're stealing the sermon outline right away. 
uh, in a devotion by, again by Piper st- titled Seven Sources of Joy, he points to the joy again that seemed to be so durable in the Apostle Paul and contends that the joy that Paul experienced and so often taught in his letters came from these seven sources. First, it was taught by Jesus. In many ways, including Luke 6, where he says, Blessed are you when people hate you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So it comes as a source from the teachings of Jesus to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord. Second, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Somebody else said that one. That's good. From the Holy Spirit, not our own efforts, not my own imagination or my family upbringing, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. Third, it comes from belonging to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We belong, as we've already discussed this morning, to the kingdom of God because we have been redeemed, and that is a source of joy in our lives. Fourth, it comes through faith, that is, from believing in God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing Romans 15, 13. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Philippians 1, 25. Fifth, it comes from seeing and knowing Jesus as Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4. Sixth, it comes from fellow believers who work hard to help us focus on these sources of joy rather than deceitful circumstances. We work with you for your joy. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. And then seventh, it comes from the sanctifying effects of tribulation. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope, Romans 5. All of these are sources for us of joy. And as Piper goes on to say, if we are not yet like Paul when he says, I'm overflowing with joy, he calls us to be imitators of Christ, as, uh, imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is a call to earnest prayer because a joyful life is a supernatural life. It's not something I can just conjure up. It's not a feeling I can just turn on. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I pray that the Lord would grow me up um, in this area. I want to be someone who is more often filled with joy because I am careful to see uh, and to reflect on the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Which brings me to uh, the third point, joy for this day. Have you ever noticed that it's easier sometimes, and maybe this is just me, but to be joyful, uh, it's easier, excuse me, to see reasons for being joyful by either looking back or looking forward rather than right now in this day. 
You know, I can, I can think about things that God has done, and in hindsight, I can say, yeah, that was a reason for joy, because I know how that ended. I can look forward at the promises of Christ and know that he is coming back and say, yeah, that's going to be a joyful occasion. There's joy in that. I can see that. Uh, but when I think about this day that I'm in right now, in the trenches, in the grind, in the, in the busyness of life, it's difficult, isn't it? to think about joy for this day. You know, we say uh, Jesus is the same, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but I think we believe it more about yesterday and tomorrow. Uh, Today is more difficult, and it is natural that it is. But what about this day? What about joy today? At this time of year, we're frequently reminded of the heavenly scene that's already been referenced this morning in Luke 2, 11, 10 and 11, when the, whole, uh, the angel said to the shepherds, they, uh, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have you, have you ever noticed those two words, this day? Um, we have a certain fondness in our home for the words, this day. Uh, <clears throat> Ian struggles to use the terms today or tomorrow. I'm seeing if he's paying attention to me right now. Uh, today or tomorrow to refer to the day that he is attempting to describe. And when we're telling him about something that's exciting, that's going to happen in his little world, he will often say, wait. You mean that's going to happen this day? With a little you know, inflection point at the end there. Uh, and oh, what a joy it is to his, his little heart when he does come to realize that, yes, whatever we are describing that's going to happen is not going to be not this day. I don't even know what to call that day, but not this day. It's, it's actually this day, this day that is happening. The passage in Isaiah 35 does speak to that day of Christ's return when we look forward to what is to come. But the passage also speaks to having joy this day. It says that God will strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. God will come and save you. That's not just joy for tomorrow. He is pointing in this passage to tomorrow. He's pointing to that day and what we have to look forward to in the promise of Christ. But that joy is also meant to give us joy today. In our lives today. As we are weak and feeble right now. Right now. Joy is found in the person and the presence of Christ. And we don't only have to read passages like Luke 2 as if it were a story for another time. And we don't only have to read passages that speak to Christ's return as if it is a joy for another day. We do not have to wait for the person and presence of Christ to be near to us this day because He is. He is here. He is with you. And he offers joy to you today. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. And that's not something we have to wait for. It is going to be wonderful when we, when we see Jesus face to face and all of the chaos around us right now is, is in the rearview mirror. But that is not just something that is later. It is also something that he gives to us now because he is here. And he is with you. Praise the Lord. I want, I want to return to the story that I began earlier and finish it for you. And I share it for two reasons. One, as I've already mentioned, it's a story of redemption. And as we've discussed already, God's redemption of our souls and the Holy Spirit's presence with us is in large part the reason we are able to have joy. The second reason I want to share it with you, you'll just have to wait and see. <clears throat> My dad was always in church with his second wife and would agree with much that we believed about the Lord, but I don't really know if he was ever truly saved. As much as I heard about his borrowing and mismanagement of money, I also heard good stories of how he spent his paycheck on others without food and how he wrote good news stories in the paper where he worked. Dad thought of others above himself and accepted everyone, and many people profited from Dad's generosity and thoughtfulness. Dad was always faithful to his children, and I know that he was, I was the apple of his eye, which I truly believe helped me understand how the Lord sees me as his dearly loved daughter. In the last 18 months of dad's life, I was able to have many precious conversations with him. And I'm so very thankful for the way that our time together ended in such a sweet way. I'm proud to be called his daughter. When we left off with mom in this story, she had broken her knee and had come to live with us. Apparently, the Holy Spirit was working on mom's heart to draw her to the Lord. And soon after she left our home and returned to her own, she surrendered her life to Jesus. And everything changed. She dove into the Word with abandon. She plugged into healthy fellowship with other believers. She began to grow in the Lord as if the Lord had poured miracle grow on her. When mom died, and I was thinking about what I wanted to say at the funeral, the phrase, life-giving forgiveness, came to mind. Jesus' blood washed her clean and gave her new life, and she was able to cling to that rather than to be swallowed in guilt. I believe it's because she understood that Jesus' work on the cross was complete. And I'm sure Satan taunted her with condemnation from her past, but she stood firm because she knew she was a new creation. Old things had, um, excuse me, and old things had passed away. This standing firm brought a fullness of joy that spilled over to everyone who knew her. To be around her, people would never think she could have lived the life that she had. Some of you probably already know who I'm talking about, but speaking for myself now, I, I didn't know the full story, I still don't, uh, of Ruby Offord's background. The mother of Affie Ray, right here in the church body. She was a woman who was filled with the joy of the Lord. For those who knew Ruby, or Princess Ruby, as she was called by most who knew her, she was, in her own words, a daughter of the king. And that fact colored every facet of her life. As I was preparing, 
for the sermon, I pulled out my copy of my utmost for his highest off the shelf to look for something. I've rarely used it for years, but when I opened it the other day, I turned to the front cover and it says this, June 2003, for Micah Fox, love from Miss Ruby. She gave it to me 20 years ago, over 20 years ago when I was 18. And in addition to the inscription that I read in her red pen that she loved to use, and many of us received letters from her, and we saw that red pen. Uh, in the red pen that she loved to use, she has a heart and a smiley face. And she also has two Bible verses listed at the bottom of the front cover for me. The first was Matthew 22, 37 through 40, that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second is Psalm 150, verse 6, that reads, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. For Ruby, breathing at all was difficult. She was on oxygen for many years, and I have so many memories of visits to her home in those years in the little house on Mountainside Lane at the end of what is now my, my parents' road or has been for years, Joyful Way, right there on the corner, sitting in her living room and talking, just us. And there are two sounds that I associate with Ruby's house. The first is the sound of her oxygen tank that was always going. And you could hear it in the background. The whole way through. The other was the sound of her voice that never missed an opportunity to use what little breath she did have to praise the Lord. She was never in a hurry in those conversations. She always made me feel like apart from Christ, I was the most special person in her world at that moment. Her godly life and especially her joy for the Lord and in the Lord and in talking about the Lord, impacted me in deep and meaningful ways then, and it does still now. Even in her physical strength that was challenged, the joy of the Lord was her strength, as Vic mentioned this morning. And her joy overflowed to impact the lives of so many. Many of you could raise a hand right now, stand up and give a testimony, and maybe you will during the, devo uh, the, the testimony time, but of how she impacted your life because she loved the Lord with all of her heart and she loved me as well. Um, as we close, it seemed good to me uh, to end the message by asking you to join me in singing this verse of all creatures of our God and King it's applicable to what we've been talking about today. And I could also just envision, as I was thinking about this, Ruby just breaking out in spontaneous song as we sat together or as she was here in the congregation. She loved to be here and she loved to sing and she loved to worship, even though sometimes she was standing and she wasn't singing because there, were no, there was no breath left. But you knew that she was still worshiping the Lord in her heart. So if you would, please stand with me and join me in singing this third verse 
of all creatures of our God and King. All the redeemed washed by His blood Come and rejoice in His great love Oh, praise Him, hallelujah Christ has defeated every sin Cast all your burdens now on Him Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia Let's pray Father, we give you thanks and praise for the joy that we have Because of the work, the redeeming work that you have done on the cross Once and for all, Lord, we are redeemed We are ransomed, and therefore we are able to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Lord, I pray that each one of us would grow in joy this week, this day, and in the days to come. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, that you would give us um, the want to, to look for the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world around us. And Lord, through that and through the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts with joy. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for all that you are and all that you have done for us and for this season that we're in when we can, um, not just this season, but Lord, it is so special in this season to think about how you have given us so much Lord, that we did not deserve, that you were willing, that you were willing to come down from earth, from heaven, to take place on earth in the flesh, Lord, to show us the way. Lord, it did not end in the cradle, in the manger. Lord, we thank you for walking all of the way to the cross. And Lord, we are here as a result. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is not redeemed, anyone who has not yet surrendered their lives to the Lord, that you would do that redeeming work in their lives today, this week, this Christmas season, Lord, that you would open the eyes of the blind to see, and Lord, that you would, as a result, fill them also with joy. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to antiochchurchnc.org.